The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Avengers Initiative, WandaVision. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, January 25th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's WandaVision. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X... Hello, everyone. And Priscilla Rocha. I don't have any lullabies for you guys, but hello, everybody. Oh, wouldn't that have been nice, though? Yeah, it's a Kovian lullaby, though. Well, yeah, yeah, those are always end in tragedy. So uh, (laughs) before before I get into the whole synopsis stuff, I do want to go over just some tiny odds and ends from uh, the first two episodes, because, you know, as people are re-watching the episodes as, well, at least I did. I don't know if, if the rest of you did. Um, you know, people are noticing different little things. And I just wanted to uh, mention them before we actually start talking about this actual episode, episode three. So, uh, apparently, in episode one, something that we missed was during that commercial that was where it was the Stark toaster. So I don't know if everyone just remembers the toaster, how it looks, but there are there were like three squiggly, like, um, you know, little lines over. They were like looped, loop, little loopy lines uh, on the toaster. Apparently, if you flip those over, those little loops turn into 666. So there's that. In the I would s- remind you the incredible depth I went into for that particular commercial. I know, even I missed that. You missed the six six six. I do have a little thing that I'm going to be talking to you about, Professor. That might blow your mind, or you're going to laugh. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to say that until the end. So the the second thing that was noticed that we didn't notice either, and I'm I'm disappointed in all of us, was in the second episode. So as as they as the characters walked into the kitchen, there's a wall. And on the wall there's a mural. And the mural is of that building, the prison in which Hydra was housing Wanda and Pietro. That that building on the hill. I was that compound on the hill, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I saw that online. Yeah. But I didn't yeah, think it was I saw it online as well, but I didn't think it was, yeah. I didn't think it was a big thing to to, to point that out, so I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, it was, I had not noticed it, so I'm the internet uh, 
enlightened me. And uh, I was like, okay. And two other little things as well. Uh, the episodes, when I was reading the synopses in the previous two podcasts, you know, they were just called Episode 1, Episode 2. Disney Plus has started releasing the actual episode titles. So I'll be reading Episode 3's title uh, in a moment. But to go back, Episode 1 is officially called Filmed Before a Live Studio Audience. And Episode 2 is officially called don't touch that dial. So all of the episodes are getting, in essence, a TV uh, style, um, TV lingo style uh, episode title, which is appropriate because it's, you know, it's an homage to classic uh, sitcoms. It's called WandaVision, which sounds like television and that sort of thing. And the other thing well, that apparently... Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Professor. Oh, I was just going to say, like, a really weird thing about that was that the first episode was done in front of a live studio audience like they would have done back in the 50s. Yes. And apparently, they actually dressed up the studio audience in 1950s appropriate garb. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, apparent, yes. And, you know, we didn't see them at all. There was no cutaways to the audience. Now, maybe they were filming something that will play out. In a future episode, I can't imagine Marvel did this for no reason, whatever. But yeah, I just heard uh, uh, today that uh, apparently the uh, the actual studio audience was dressed up in 50s uh, suitable garb. And I have to think Marvel is planning on doing something with this going forward. Okay, that's that's a scoop right there. Very interesting to know. And well, you know, after you mocked us for not, you know, talking about posters on the wall, I felt, well, I better get this in there for the sake of uh, completeness. Okay, I like that. But speaking of mocking. All right, Professor. So after we recorded the podcast, I I legitimately went and rewatched both of the episodes because you were you had done your 30 second breakdown of, of the commercial and My crazed red yarn on the wall level of, uh, of analysis, which yes. I still think holds up. Yes, and, and I believe in a lot of it. But the one thing that I had to see, because it was the running gag of the cock and the balls. Yes. And yes. did you see it? Yes. Okay, I saw something, but then I stared at it, and then I realized what it was. And are you ready for your mind to be blown? Fire away. That was, I mean, it was, it is phallic in nature, but that was not that. That was a lobster. I'm not saying it was an actual cock and balls. I'm saying that on the wall, underneath a rooster, it looked like a cock and balls. Okay, well, it was a running gag, so I wasn't sure if yes, you had... the, Well, at that point, though, we hadn't had the running, the, the, uh, the lobster, so it... it it became a running gag from that point. Okay, I yes, still yes, yes. I think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, if you, I think it's, it's much more, you know, amusing though the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the rooster and stuff was. I, I, it's still, I find it really interesting that, you know, when they started out and when they, you know, panned across, the background faded out. I, I just, um, I can't help but think that's going to be significant in some way. I don't know how. Yes, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah, but it was... Uh, and you can't deny there was a rooster on the wall. There was a rooster on the wall. And but, the clocks were different times. Am I crazy? No, that was all correct. Yes, no, but it was a lobster. So in essence, it was foreshadowing what we were, the lobster from later on, which I thought was neat, nonetheless. All right, so... 
Did anyone else have any odds and ends from the first two episodes? Anything that they noticed upon a rewatch or anything like that that we didn't discuss before we head into the actual current episode? Um, there was something, but I, I want to mention it uh, organically when we're talking about this episode, so I'll leave it. Okay, perfect. Well, then let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 3, which was titled Now in Color and debuted January 22nd, 2021 uh, via Disney+. Plus. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Wanda's pregnancy fritzes her powers as she and Vision prepare for an accelerated delivery. So I'm going to start off by asking a question that I've asked, uh, you know, throughout all these podcasts so far. So the episode takes place, in essence, in the 70s. It's an homage to 70s television shows, in particular sitcoms. Uh, Clearly, this one was probably, um, I think we can all say each of these uh, homages has uh, been inspired by a particular television show. The first one was a little bit more Dick Van Dyke-y. The second one was a little bit more Bewitched. Although, in essence, I think the entire series, when it's focusing on the TV stuff, is heavily influenced uh, by Bewitched, and that's because of the magic and the powers and that sort of thing. This one, I guess, leaned into the Brady Bunch, sort of? That 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 type of seventies genre, but the it, but the beginning of the song sounded like the Partridge Family. I was gonna say that as well. It's it's sort of Partridge Brady's ish because even like the uh, even though the song was very Partridge Family, the visuals was kind of Brady's as well uh, with the different boxes. Although that's also very seventies as well. So it's it was an overall seventies uh, motif for this episode so are we fans of 70s sitcoms in particular i'll open it up to the floor no (laughs) okay no yeah i agree uh i i never watched 70s sitcoms so that's interesting for me i i'm aware of what they mean you know i can sort of you know uh appreciate that but it's funny like when uh, you know, uh, when they're talking about that, I, I don't think I've ever watched an episode of Gilligan's Island or Brady Bunch or, or any of those shows. You've never seen Mary Tyler Moore? No, Mary Tyler Moore. I don't. No. Mary Tyler Moore, not only have I watched, but I am have been rewatching. And boy, that's a show that holds up, if only because uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Yow. Correct. But that's 70s. So that one counts. It is technically 70s, and, and as is All in the Family, but I didn't really watch shows like that when I was younger, so unless I'm going to go and seek those shows out now, like I've, I've watched all the episodes of MASH, I've watched all the episodes of Mary Tyler Moore, but I've probably never watched more than three or four episodes of uh, All in the Family. Uh, as I said, I've never watched uh, an episode of, uh, uh, of Gilligan's Island or The Brady Bunch, so for me, it, it's not like... I, I know these shows themselves. I think I get the cultural references. So when you're looking at the the set for One Division in this episode, I realized that it was a callback to the Brady Bunch, even though I've never seen that show. Um, in the same way that you know I've I've never seen E.T., but I get those references. You've never seen E.T. I've also never seen Titanic or uh, Avatar, but I get the references. You've never seen Titanic. No, I know how it ends. Your voice is just going to keep going higher and I higher. I know, right? I mean, exactly. Avatar, I haven't seen Avatar, so that, yeah, that's apparently, fine. Yeah, unless James Cameron pulled a real surprise, I know how Titanic ends. 
Yes, yeah. That's fascinating. Titanic was such a cultural phenomenon, though. Um, I know, but it was one of those things that there are things that, you know, I just missed, you know, at various times when I was going to school and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's like Friends. You know, I, I never watched Friends all the way through because it was during a period of time when I didn't have a television. So, you know, I would have to go back and, and you know, watch from the beginning to to get it. Okay. All right. So I guess, said that, you know, mm-hmm. when when WandaVision makes it to the uh, the aughts, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll be doing the Friends uh, as their uh, their theme. Yeah, I do. No, uh, yeah, I do wonder. Um, I am curious to see, are they going to do the aughts in general or, or will Friends be more so the 90s? Because Friends started yeah, in good the point. 90s. Yeah, because I think I would love to see them doing like sort of a, a Seinfeld themed uh but it'll be interesting, you know, and, you know, uh, we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves, but do they have to stick to the sitcom format? Could they do sort of a, a Magnum P.I. type show in the 80s or something like that rather than having to stick to sitcoms? I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, as far as myself with 70s sitcoms, so I kind of classify 70s sitcoms in two different ways. There's like the family-friendly sitcoms, things that would be like The Brady Bunch, Partridge Family, uh, I'd probably even throw in Gilligan's Island in there, and there, then there are the more adult-skewed 70s sitcoms, things like Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart Show, uh, Jefferson's, etc. I've seen, and I've been much more of a fan of like the adult-skewed shows, like I loved Mary Tyler Moore, Rhoda... The, the actual spinoff series, um, uh, the ones that I mentioned are the ones that I've watched and, and really enjoyed. I've probably only seen maybe a handful or even less of The Brady Bunch in its entirety. Because um, it, it's a little bit more corny and, and, and cheesy, and, and I've, I've just never been never gravitated to that when it came to classic sitcoms and I don't think I've ever seen an episode of the Partridge family. Maybe one if that. So and this one definitely leaned into that sort of cheesy 70s family uh situation comedy type of thing, which I did get all the references, but it, and I, I have seen the Brady Bunch movie, like that one and the I think it was called a very Brady sequel. Like I've seen those, you know, the movies that sort of spoofed the television series, but I was never really a fan of the actual Brady Bunch, period. All right. <gasps> I know. Wait, did you like the Brady Bunch? Yeah, I did like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> okay. When I was a kid, like, my dad used to put on, like, Nick and Knight and stuff like that, and he used to watch a ton of Brady Bunch and, like, Bewitched and I Dream of Genie and started, like, everything that was on at the time. Yeah. That's what I watched. See, the Brady Bunch and Night was so, when I was not watching Nick and Knight. Yeah, I was watching Brady Bunch. But, um, yeah, I've watched Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family, and so I got the references that was coming from that, but I, I, maybe it's the fact that I come from, like, this time frame, but I, I get the feeling that every guy kind of looks like a pervert in the 70s or something. <laughs> Vision just looked like he came from a lineup or something i don't know he, he he looks like one of those weird my favorite murder type of people i don't know to be fair that's all funny. men were perverts until well 
yeah, never mind. <laughs> that's even funnier. That's that's hilarious. Uh, speaking of looks, I I just I, I like I feel like I say this every time, but just props to the set designers, the costumers, the prop people. I mean, like every week, everything is just so spot on. Like, man, did they study the the era in which each episode covers. Because as you referenced, Professor, like the set was very Brady's. It, it was beautifully Brady's. I mean, they just did a phenomenal job in the costumes and the... Um, the, the hairstyles and everything was just incredible. I read an interview with uh, Deborah Jo Rupp, who plays uh, Mrs. Hart, and uh, she was saying, like, when she would be on the sets, she, like, remembered, she was like, oh, my God, that was the TV back then, or that was this from back then. Like, she was really impressed at the attention to detail. And uh, she also commented on um, the fact that a lot of the actors actually went to sitcoms school you know there they did you know maybe i don't know how long it went you know maybe a couple of sessions where the actors were were taught how to act sitcom and she was she was like i was able to skip that because i've been in so many sitcoms but it, it, the attention to detail it, you know from bts to what we see on camera is uh pretty damn spectacular and i feel like we all sort of co-sign that so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the opening theme. As incredibly cheesy and kitschy as it was. I, I mean, they had to actually film them doing all of that cheesy 70s stuff. You know, just smiling and eating ice cream cones and running into your friends on the street and that kind of stuff. What did we think of this Partridge Family-infused, Brady-esque looking theme song? Professor? Oh, it was totally great. I mean, you know, even if you haven't watched the uh, the actual shows, you understand. Uh, and, and you know, they're not mocking it. It's an homage. And you were saying that, uh, you know, the, the level of detail and the level of love, basically, that they're doing. These are, you know, the people who are creating this show are people who grew up on television, grew up on the shows of the 70s. Maybe not watching them, probably not watching them at the time, but, you know, watching them, uh, as Priscilla was saying, uh, on Nick at Night. So, you know, they have an obvious love for the form. And I think that's coming through. I think it's as if, you know, they were to come to us and say, hey, we want you to create a, a loving pastiche of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what we would do with that. So I think this is something it's it's uh, it's it's familiar, it's comforting. And I think that's a, a key point, you know, that we'll talk about when we're talking about, you know, what is going on in the reality of the show as opposed to the show. But no, I thought it was great, you know, seeing that uh, that opening montage. Uh, as much as I love the uh, the witch montage, I thought that was that was great. Um, you know, the uh, the people who are doing the uh, the theme songs for every episode are are phenomenal. Um, you know, I think I mentioned last time that it's the uh, the husband and wife team who did Frozen, mm -hmm. and uh, they are just absolutely nailing the tone, the sound of it. Um, visually, you know, something that, uh, we saw, you know, in, in the previous episodes, I think they're, they're repeating in this episode even more strongly is the hexagon motif, uh, yes. which we might want to talk about later. Uh, but it was very, very strong in the, uh, the opening there, but, uh, no, it was just, uh, it, it really did feel like, you know, the start of a, a standard cheesy seventies TV show, which is exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. 
the Hexa is not gone. The Hexa is here, apparently, and here to stay, because there was so much of that in this episode. Yeah. And by the way, Hexagon, uh, what is the Scarlet Witch's power? She casts Hexes. Hexagon? Oh, wow. How interesting is that? Mm. We're going to bring that up. The Hexes, the sides, the six sides. And do it. I like it. I like it. Something that I didn't really notice, and I've seen this episode a couple of times, and I've tried to freeze frame to see it, but some people say that there's an interesting silhouette on the pregnancy book that Vision has in the theme song, uh, opening credits uh, section. Uh, Some people say it looks like a Marvel villain. I didn't really see it, so I, I, yeah, I don't know if either of you saw anything in the opening themes that gave a hint or a clue to anything this time around. I, I didn't this time around, though. Yeah, I didn't see what anything. Dylan, it's yeah, I didn't see What villain are you talking about? Mephisto? Mephisto? However you pronounce it? Oh, I did not see that. But again, in the previous episode, people said that they thought they saw the Grim Reaper, uh, in uh, in the uh, the anime background, I didn't see that either. So, well, there's that. Okay, well, let's we're, we'll talk about the pregnancy because that was like the big thing uh, in a moment. I want to actually talk about the glitch. So, Vision is out talking to to Herb. Apparently, Herb is the neighbor, and. Uh, he technically glitches, if we're going to talk about glitches, because uh, he's trimming the hedges, and then he's all of a sudden trimming the wall, the fence, uh, the the stone, I guess, uh, fence that uh, separates his home from the Vision's home. Um, I don't know if they have a last name, but we'll call them the Visions. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and when he's told by Vision, like, hey, you kind of, you know, you're trimming too much... Uh, he continues on in almost like a trance-like state. So there was that. So Vision enters the house and basically tells Wanda, like, hey, you know, I, there's something strange going on. Like, I, I feel like there's something going on here. You know, this thing with Herb, the thing with the hearts, and Wanda's listening. We see her eyes sort of move, and then our screen glitches. It wasn't like a like a blah, 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 rewind that we saw in episode two. This was like a like a cut, like a hard cut, and it rewinds back, and um, the scene you know takes a different turn, and and Vision clearly no longer is follow, following the breadcrumbs of uh, weirdness that's going on in Westview. I will say, as I was watching this the first time. I don't know why, because this is being streamed, so it's not like it's on DVD or anything. But for a moment, I was like, did my, you know, screen glitch? Like, I was really, I was like, what the hell happened? And then I realized that, no, this was clearly, obviously, intentional. Uh, Priscilla, what did you think of this? And, um, yeah, what, what, just what did you think of this? I don't even know <laughs> if I want to lead you on down a particular path. So what did you just think of this in general? The first time I saw it, I like, I was like, "Oh my God, she like wanted wanna messed with him." Like I, I, I immediately blamed it on her. Like I, I didn't even think that it. I didn't think it was 
a mistake in the film. I didn't think it was anything. I I looked for reasons to blame Wanda. And my boyfriend had missed it. So he thought that it was like, that it was a glitch in Disney or something. So he's like, no, wait, let's rewind it because I missed it. I, I, I don't know what's going on. So we rewound it and I was looking for proof that she maybe twitched her hand or maybe wiggled her nose or something to to show that she had done it but there's nothing it just the 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 scene just changes so i'm not so certain that she's the one that's doing this i'm i'm thinking that someone else is playing the scene here Oh, that's interesting. I do she was clearly responsible the first time in in at the tail end of episode 2. She was responsible then. I was looking at her face throughout the entire time. Like when I rewatched it, like I was staring at her face cuz I was like, did she do something? And she does she does sort of, you know, look, you know, um her eyes uh it's not twitch, but like she moves her eyes back and forth um, as she's looking at vision. And I was like, is that when she did it? And I want to put the blame on her. But now that you said what you said, Priscilla, I don't know if I can fully pull, put the blame on her for this professor, your thoughts on uh, the glitch. Yeah. I think if this had been the first time it happened in the series, uh, we wouldn't know for sure, but because we saw her do it in the previous episode where she literally rewound the tape uh, to, uh, you know, uh, the point where she wanted things to play back from um, having her do it this time, you know, in the the very next episode in the show, I think makes it clear that this was her doing this. Now, they didn't, you know, they didn't telegraph it. They didn't have Elizabeth Olsen, you know, Wiggler and Rose or anything like that. But to me, it felt like um uh, very clear that she was doing the same thing again, but I thought it was so much more effective this time because you did have those sort of, you know, clumsy edits back in shows at that time where they had to, you know, just, just go back and, and, you know, make a, a physical cut in the tape and uh, having it happen like that, I thought really, really worked well because the first time it happened, you know, a bit like you were saying, like what, what just happened? Was this, you know, a glitch was this, you know, but no, this, they were, you know, creating essentially a glitch, you know, the sort of thing you would see on a 70s TV show that everyone would have accepted at the time. Uh, but, you know, by our conventional editing standards, you know, feels kind of clumsy. But, you know, for me, you know, in watching it in the moment, I thought to myself, oh, that's that's uh, the Scarlet Witch doing this again because we've seen her do it before. It's just that now because we're in the 70s, it's uh, it's not rewinding and replaying. She's just basically making a hard edit. Mm-hmm. OK. I like it. We didn't even touch Herb. So what the hell was that? Because I read an interesting interpretation of that online. But I want to hear what both of you have to say about this uh, first. Uh, Professor? Well, it kind of gets into, you know, uh, and, and, you know, as we see the, uh, the outside characters, the outside characters, you know, aside from Geraldine uh, and the doctor played far less of a role in this episode than in the previous episode. This episode was much more about, uh, you know, Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Um, my feeling is that, you know, when the characters are, okay, I'm just going to jump ahead. Um, my feeling is that, you know, uh, Hub and Agnes and uh, and Dottie and the others are the people who were living in this community before the Scarlet Witch moved in and took it over. So, you know, at times when the Scarlet Witch isn't actively controlling them, 
Um, I think we see in this episode as we go into later in the episode that when she's not actively controlling them, there's you know a sense of awareness that they have that things are not right. And uh, I think they were sort of, you know, um, suggesting that when Hub was, you know, uh, you know, using his uh, 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 his hedge trimmer to hedge to cut into the uh, the cinder blocks and kept cutting. Um, I think that, you know, when they're not actively being controlled, they're sort of like non-player characters, um, but non-player characters who, depending on how much attention um, the Scarlet Witch is paying to them. Um, I think they have um, perhaps a little more agency and a little more awareness than they would have otherwise. And uh, that's one of the things I think was really interesting about this episode. Uh, prior to this episode, you know, uh, whenever we saw the uh, the outside characters, they were all just, you know, characters in the sitcom. This is the episode where they seem to be breaking free of that. Maybe not breaking free entirely, but, you know, the, the sense of, of unawareness, uh, a feeling that they're they're doing stuff uh, at the same time. Um, so, you know, um, not to cut ahead to the end, but I think this was the episode where, you know, the, uh, the show lays its cards on the table and tells you what is going to be the reality going forward. And I think that, you know, hub doing that and the later episode with him and, uh, and Catherine Hahn, uh, really plays that, uh, makes that point clear. Um, previously we talked about, you know, what was going on in this episode. You know, you know, who is manipulating, who is, uh, you know, rea- the reality of it. And I, I personally feel that this episode makes it very clear what is going to be the reality going forward. Um, uh, I don't want to talk too much about it now because I'm sure we'll get to it later. But I think that was a, a good foreshadow of that. You know, when you see someone, you know, using a, uh, you know, a, a hedge trimmer to cut through cinder blocks, um, you know, that that's obviously really really weird um so for that to be happening um it sort of plays up the weirdness and uh the fact that hub wasn't aware of that um i i think uh you know they 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 used that scene just to set up what was going to happen later and uh i think the in retrospect you know when you see the uh the scene as i say with uh with hub and uh and uh, agnes later in the episode it makes a lot more sense and i did like one thing about that was that you know uh, you know, the, the cutting into it, you know, later in the episode, when you see that same wall, you know, the cutting is still there. So it's not like the uh, the reality of that was undone. Um, but, uh, yeah, it feels to me that uh, that in this episode uh, that uh, what is actually happening um, uh, was made clear and they set it up in that scene. Um, but, uh, I think it was important to, to set that up, uh, you know, with hub sort of, you know, and also the way that he was doing it was, you know, the very distracted way that he was looking as he was doing it and wasn't even aware that he was cutting into that. Um, it's like he was, you know, a, um, oh, uh, an NPC in a computer game or something like that, just doing something off on the side of the screen. Um, and, and wasn't even aware of that. But I think by the end of the episode, we understand why that happened. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, also, what's interesting is the fact that you called Herb Hub like ten times. <laughs> and well, I, the, when and again, this may be uh, Paul Bettany's um, accent when he called him Herb. It sounded oh, to me like Hub, Hub. so uh, Hub. Yeah, it sounded to me like that. That was the character's name. Hub. Yeah. Well, it's the British accent. Yeah. Priscilla, what about you? Uh, is, is your um, 
what did you think? Uh, are you also try not to go too deep in as the professor did? Because I do. I will be asking specifically about that conversation because I thought that conversation with Agnes was quite fascinating. But at the time when you just watched this opening scene, like, what did you think was going on? Where he's trimming the 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 hedges and he goes straight into the cinder block. Yeah. Or, d- during the conversation with Agnes. Like, no, no, no. Which... We're not. We haven't touched that conversation yet. Okay. Uh, so just yeah. the cinder block. Yes, just the cinder blocks. Just the cinder block. It made me feel like when you have your Sims characters and you're not really controlling them and they like go into the fire and stuff like that, and they, <laughs> or, or they go into like the swimming pool and drown themselves and stuff like <laughs> oh that. Oh my like, god. The sim sounds going, dramatic. That's what's going on with these characters. Like, she's not controlling her characters, her her, her little puppets anymore. So they're kind of going like wildly out of sync, and they're like doing random shit now, distractedly, and it's getting to the point where they're kind of destroying property. Okay. I think, I think that's it. I because I feel like Wanda's controlling all of this like world, all of this mm-hmm. universe, all uh, this span. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and agree with I that. I feel like the pregnancy like just took a lot out of her, and she just can't concentrate at the moment. Okay. I believe in that as well. Uh, I mean, in this episode, she loses control of her powers. And I think because of the pregnancy, she did lose some of the control she had of, um, of this idyllic sitcom world that she is presiding over. I read this interpretation online and I liked it. And, and based off of what happens later, I think this is probably the best interpretation of what happened in this moment with with Herb. Uh, what uh, I read online in like the comment section, which um, which can be interesting at times, uh, someone interpreted that scene as Herb, in essence, trying to break free from the spell, the the illusion of the sitcom world. In essence he was literally like cutting himself out of the illusion and and maybe that's why he had a little bit more awareness later on in the episode we'll be talking about his discussion with agnes uh, a little bit later but um i was like you know what that's an interesting interpretation of that and um and i kind of dug it I kind of prefer Priscilla's interpretation of this, like a sim, you know, just doing their thing off on the side of the screen. It's it's not the the focus of attention, so they can you know drown themselves in a pool or whatever. So for me, I think it, it's more likely that it was just you know um, uh, an NPC off in the corner of the screen doing his own thing um, than you know uh, him trying to escape. But I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't disagree with that either. You know, uh, everything was going wrong in essence with her magic. So her losing 
her powers of uh, control over the uh, denizens of uh, Westview um, could have been uh, what was going on as well. So let's talk about the pregnancy. So what we start off with uh, Dr. Nielsen, which I wondered if the last name Nielsen was a little wank to the Nielsen rating system. Um, uh, if it was, that was brilliant. I feel like everything on the show is, is is so meticulously detailed that that probably was why they called him Dr. Nielsen. Uh, he's there. He's uh, telling her that she's about four months along. When he leaves, Vision does the calculations of like how at the rate that she's um, you know showing and that sort of thing that the baby should be there in like three days. But her belly keeps on getting bigger. And uh, and they they do so much in this episode of playing around, you know, classic sitcom tropes, especially pregnancy tropes. Like at, at one point, she's holding up uh, a bowl of fruit. Um, I, I th- and then later on, she holds um, a uh, what was it a, a flowers a, a vase of flowers. I thought they were gonna have her cover her belly up with pillows and, and with like a giant purse. I mean, they they do the whole coat thing as well, which is kind of a wink and a nod to uh, when um, you know actors are actually pregnant and they have to hide her pregnancy and that sort of thing. And and they do put her in you know big uh, coats and jackets and sweaters and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, there's. On Home Improvement, I remember Patricia Richardson, like, they they just, you know, filmed her with, like, giant purses, and they did, uh, on Seinfeld, they kept on putting Elaine in, like, these giant coats and that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, you know what I'm saying? Um, What did we think of some of the, sort of, pregnancy tropes that we saw, especially in the 70s, when uh, they could actually say the word pregnant on the television uh, and, and that sort of thing, as well as uh, the uh, comedic sitcom type, type of things that they did to h- try to have her hide her pregnancy from, uh, like, Geraldine, and etc. Uh, Priscilla? I thought that was really cute and, like, really, like... I thought it worked well with how it kind of worked well with like how how they do that with women in that era when they Mm -hmm. were pregnant, but they were still working on shows and they had to put on the jackets or put on like, or magically get in front of a couch or something like that to like avoid the pregnant belly showing on TV or something like that. Like the magic of TV back then, how it's still like, we still had that going on even to Frasier to this day. So, like, I thought that was just, like, a cute nod to TV goings-on, TV happenings to this day. But um, the stork itself, oh, that was funny as hell. <laughs> I loved the, how she kept trying to hex it away, and it's like, nope, I'm, I'm more powerful than you are. I'm going to stay here, and I want that fit, those fish pants. And I want and and I want to be in the baby's room, and I'm gonna do what I want, and you're not gonna do anything to stop me, cause I'm cause I'm a stork. Yes, that was very I mean, yeah. bewitched. <laughs> that was a very bewitched type of thing, uh, which was incredibly comedic and and so much fun to watch just visually, 
because of everything that they did uh, when she would like magic it away and it would be, you know, there would be that poof of smoke and like it was supposed to disappear and it was like, nope, nope, nope. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. My question is, was it that her magic was fritzing or was one of the babies doing some of that? It's one of the babies. It's one of the babies for sure. Okay. Because there was a lot of magic in this episode. Uh, you know, there there was a storm in the house. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, when she was giving birth, you know, the electricity would fritz. And the power would be going out across town. Uh, there was a lot going on with her magic. And, and it was uh, visually expressed in the show a lot leading up to the birth. And I wondered... Was it just that her powers were fritzing, or could the the children um, have have had something to do with that? Because if if I'm not mistaken, one of them has super speed, but the other one actually has her magical abilities in the comics. So could yeah, it have been? I was about to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, isn't one of them like a hexer, just like she is? Yeah. Professor, what about you? Uh, I want to get your uh, take on that. Well, I don't think we had any indication in the episode that it was, you know, the baby's exerting control. But yes, in the comic, she has uh, two children, um, uh, Tommy and William, who you know got their uh, their 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 name um, shout outs uh, uh, in the episode. You know, some people were calling it an Easter egg. It's not an Easter egg. It's an egg. Um, you know, an Easter egg has to be hidden. Uh, but yes, um, you know, one of her children uh, becomes the young Avenger known as Wiccan, who uh, has uh, magical powers. And um, so it could be that. I, I don't think so. I, I, I think that that's maybe reading a bit too much. I think, you know, okay. given that this was a sitcom trope, it's I think it's just that, you know, uh, in a sitcom, things happen because they're funny, not because they, they necessarily make logical sense. So I think the fact that she couldn't make the stork just disappear uh, was, you know, sort of the sitcom reality that she's living in, that the, the stork will still be there. And, and uh, yeah, I agree that the uh, the stork was hilarious. Um, you know, they, they, they kept it going, kept it going, kept it going to such hilarious extent and also you know having the stork you know reach out and and uh try to uh you know grab the uh, the fish off geraldine's pants i thought was brilliant mm-hmm. um because you know geraldine just seemed to be dressed you know in 70s appropriate garb but the fact that she had these you know these prominent fish and and then to have the shark actually trying to get the fish off her pants i thought was hilarious i agree yes okay so it's fascinating some people online were saying damn, they're introducing all these Young Avengers everywhere, and so they think that there will be a Young Avengers movie sooner rather than later. Which might be kind of interesting well, to see. They're they're bringing in Ironheart, they're bringing in these two. I'm pretty sure they're bringing in Viv the next episode. So that's another Young Avenger. They're bringing in Miss um, Marvel mm-hmm. with her own series. So, yeah. They're bringing in uh, America <laughs> Sanchez? Is that her uh-huh. name? America Sanchez? Yeah. She's going to be in um, Captain Marvel 2 as well. Um, yeah, so they are introducing a lot of these young Avengers. So I, I, I would assume that there's a, a movie somewhere. I think there are rumors of Hulkling showing up somewhere. Uh, so uh, I, I think in Captain Marvel 2 there, there are rumors. So 
We'll have to stay tuned. Speaking of staying tuned, let's talk about the commercial, Hydra Soak. Unleash the goddess within. What did we think of it? Uh, was there anything that anyone noticed in it? I kept on looking around and I I didn't really see anything. I just wanted to say that I'm hoping it's a call out shield cuz remember when Phil Coulson stuck in the in the framework and he's like um I'm I I'm glad that I'm okay, though, because I don't use Hydra's blue mind control soap. Oh, yeah. And they used mind control soap for the commercial, and it's blue. So I was just kind of like, oh, wow, that's cute. They could have they, they, they made the Hydra mind control soap red or something like that or anything, any other thing. But they made it blue, so... I I know that I know that they can't actually like mention Shield directly, but I thought it was a cute call. Okay, that was interesting. In the previous episodes, there were suggestions that the uh, uh, the two characters in the commercials were uh, Wanda's uh, parents. Yes, I mentioned um, that. Yeah, this episode I think uh, challenges that because uh, when you're watching the uh, the woman, uh, you know she has two children, which are clearly not twins. And interestingly, are mixed race children. Yes. Um, uh, so uh, that I would think argues against the idea that this is actually uh, one's parents. So um, I didn't get as much out of this, obviously, as I did out of the uh, the first episode's commercial. Clearly. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it feels to me like they're just sort of throwing these things in because it's a sitcom; it has to have commercials. So uh, it felt to me a little more. Uh, just, you know, having commercial for the sake of having commercial rather than, you know, um, anything significant being hidden in there. Okay. I do uh, think that all the commercials have to deal with Wanda. So this was another Hydra commercial. I hope that the next commercial isn't Hydra. Um, just because I, I feel like they're they're hitting us too much with the Hydra stuff. Although it, I guess it it would be time period appropriate because Hydra would have been around in in the eighties as well. I mean they're always around, but um, I hope it's not Hydra focused. Just because these previous two ones were, uh, this one I kept on looking around for clues. I didn't see any either. Um, the gentleman that was kind of, uh, fanning her, I was like, it was that the, the, the gentleman from the first two and it didn't look like him. So it looked like it was just, I thought it was him. Okay. It didn't look like him to me oh, though. I, I really thought it was him. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I, I don't think they would have done the commercial unless both of them were going to appear in it. Okay. Cause he looked a little bit younger than the gentleman that was in the previous two, but maybe it was him. We didn't really get a close up look at him. He was just kind of like in the background fanning her. Uh, so maybe it was him. I did find it interesting that the children were mixed race. Uh, I, I thought that was incredibly progressive for the seventies. Uh, but clearly, um, I mean, the, the commercials are homages to the, to, to the period in which what, whenever the sitcom is, um, it isn't, it doesn't necessarily, uh, it, they aren't necessarily, um, 
maybe accurate as far as uh, visual representation of the time period because clearly we've seen a whole bunch of uh, BIPOCs on the series period and, and that would not have happened in like 50s, 60s, 70s and that sort of thing. So I, I just, I did find that interesting and I, I wondered if that was going to mean something. Um, but it, it was, it was a very kitschy 70s looking commercial. So let's talk about, um, well, let, let's talk about Geraldine in this episode. Because Geraldine was fascinating in this episode. I mean, Geraldine, in essence, portrayed the sitcom trope of the sassy black friend for a moment. But what she did, and I don't know if any of you noticed it, but she code-switched in the middle of of explaining, you know, what was going on at work to, to, to Wanda. And I think Geraldine snapped out of it for half a second, and then she snapped back into it. Did we all notice this? What do you mean code switch? Well, she was, she was in essence being the sassy black friend. She was, you know, she was talking very 70s. She was, she had really embodied the sitcom role. It, and, and I'm not saying code switching because code switching does mean something different. But, it, but in essence, she snapped out of it. And then she was Monica Rambo for a moment when the, the, the chittering happened. She was no longer speaking in like 70s slang and like a 70s vibe. And she wasn't the sassy black friend. She oh, was. Oh, okay. She I like. Com- like huh? she, yeah, I saw that too. Uh, and I thought to myself that, you know, she, she heard something that, that uh, as you say, she, she briefly snapped out of it. She was no longer sort of talking that 70s patois. She was, um, you know, a, a contemporary character very briefly. And then something snapped her back into the 70s uh sassy black friend um but yeah i saw that too and i think that was intentional and i think it was setting up what comes later in the episode correct and i think it it was uh because wanda sort of gave an explanation that kind of fit and, and made sense and and so she just you know that sort of sucked her back into the sitcom world. Much like we saw it briefly, it wasn't, uh, we didn't see her snap out of it verbally, but there was that look of confusion when she was introduced in episode two, uh, right before she was like, oh, I'm Geraldine. The funny thing is, after rewatching that second episode again, there was a line in there that I sort of took for granted but after this episode, I was like, oh, my God, that line was incredibly, incredibly important. She was like, I don't know what I'm doing here in regards to the luncheon with the ladies. And then there was like the comedic line that Wanda says afterwards. She was like, I don't really know what I'm doing here either. But I was like, wow, that line was really important in that in that second episode. Yeah, okay. I agree. And it's one of those things that, you know, when you get more information you look back on the previous episodes and realize, oh, you know, they were putting these uh, these uh, these little elements in there that will become more relevant as we go along. Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100 percent. So, oh, gosh, it's like, what direction do I want to go? Do I want to continue? What do we want to do? I'll, I'll give you all the choice. Do we want to continue with Geraldine or do we want to get into that conversation with Agnes and uh, Herb? 
Oh, because if we go into Geraldine, we gotta get into why she was like why she was kicked out. I know, right? I say uh, Agnes and Herb Herb. because okay. All right, let's talk about Agnes and Herb. So, well, I I should mention. um, So Wanda gives birth. She gives birth to twins. It was just it was the one baby, but then in sort of kind of sitcommy, you know, type of thing. Like, oh no, she's she's feeling the contractions again, and so she has twins, Tommy and Billy. Uh, the doctor says something really fascinating because earlier in the episode, uh, you know, they set it up with the doctor. He's going to be leaving town. He's going to be going to Bermuda, which I feel like is a very 70s destination. I feel like everyone in the 70s would always say that they're going to Bermuda for vacation and that sort of thing. But at the end of the episode, when he, when Vision, uh, speed runs him to uh, the house although not that speedy because it took him forever um but when when uh vision when when the doctor's about to leave vision's like oh you can still make your trip the doctor's like no you know sometimes you know with you know you know how it is in small towns you sometimes can't escape so the doctor had a little moment of, um, I don't know what we want to call it, awakening, self-realization, or, or that sort of thing. So let's, we'll stick a pin in that, because we we'll discuss that in, in a moment as we sort of talk about this conversation between Agnes and Herb. So they're whispering about, Vision notices them, you know, they quickly do the cheery sitcom thing, and they're whispering about, they're talking about, did you see her go in there, and the doctor was there, and did you see her belly, and what's going on? The closed captions are wonderful, if y'all don't have them turned on, because they helped uh, figuring out exactly what they were talking about. And Vision's like, is everything okay? And Agnes is like, you know, Geraldine's in there, right? And, you know, is there anything, you know, have you noticed anything about Geraldine? No family, you know, no husband, no home. And it looks like Herb is ready to say something to Vision, you know. And it looks like he's about to tell him. This is how I took it. I think Herb was about to tell him that we're all we're all trapped, you know, we're all trapped here. And Agnes is the one that looks at him and she looks at him with concern. That's how I interpreted it. Like, you know, like, please don't say anything. Like, please don't say anything. And Herb ends up not saying anything. Agnes, you know, goes back to being sitcommy and, uh, and when Vision sort of presses Herb once he's alone with him, Herb goes along and, and, and is sitcommy as well. We've had discussions over the past two episodes of Agnes's role in the hierarchy of what's going on here. Uh, I know online I've read people thinking that Agnes is the one that's the big bad and that's behind everything. We've discussed here on the podcast that Agnes sort of seems to be on, in on stuff but maybe she isn't necessarily behind this. How I took this conversation, uh, I think Agnes is very cognizant of what's going on, but I, I also think Agnes is a little fearful of what's going on. 
and she didn't want Herb to say anything, maybe because Agnes tried to do something and she had her child turned into a rabbit. So she knows the consequences of messing around with what's going down. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching a little bit. But uh, but I think Agnes was a, was a little uh, scared. Although she was willing to kind of drop seeds for, for Vision. But I, I think she would have rather Vision have, you know, uh, picked up on it versus Herb flat out telling him. And maybe that's a little bit of her chaos, neutral chaos, positive uh, nature that was coming out. I don't know. Professor, I know that you were the one that sort of was tiptoeing towards this earlier, so I'll ask you first. What did you think of what the doctor said, and what did you think of this conversation between Agnes Herb and uh, Viz? Well, I can't uh, talk about this without uh, jumping towards my uh, end of episode prediction, so I'm just going to go uh, go ahead and, and do it at this point. Um, we talked uh, last episode, you know, is, who is manipulating um, the Scarlet Witch? Is it AIM? Is it uh, Mephisto? Um, I think the, the what I took away from this episode is that no one is manipulating her. She is doing this entirely on her own. She is the big bad of one division um and she is doing this to the people so uh and you know, we'll talk more about this you know uh, when we get to the end of the episode when we get the revelations there but i think what happened is that um wanda moved to this community took it over put a force field around it and is forcing these people to live out uh you know her uh, her sitcom fantasy of what her life would have been like um, you know, uh, you know, if the, the bad things in her life hadn't happened, I think, um, what we're finding is that, you know, whether it's because the Scarlet Witch is distracted by her pregnancy or, or what is going on, sometimes you're seeing that the, uh, the people who are living there, um, you know, uh, Agnes, uh, Dottie and others, you know, they have a certain awareness, um, when she's not directly controlling them. And I think that's what we saw in this, uh, this episode. We talked before about, uh, you know, um, Monica Rambo as being, you know, uh, you know, playing the character of Geraldine. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, she had that moment where she broke free. And then later in the episode, she's going to break free again. Um, you know, so I think what's happening is that uh, Agnes and Hugh are realizing that, you know, who is this Monica character? She's not part of the community. She clearly came in from the outside and they're aware of that, uh, though they can't, you know, necessarily act on it. They don't have, you know, full agency over what they're doing or what they're saying they're you know as priscilla was saying they're like uh you know sims characters you know uh you know wandering around at the edge of the screen but they're still at least somewhat aware of what's happening to them and somewhat aware of what they're doing and for me this was the uh this was the moment in the episode where i realized oh yeah no this is entirely the scarlet witch is doing i don't think she's being manipulated i think she is doing this herself and everything we've seen about you know sword trying to reach out to her and randall park on the radio trying to reach out to her you know that's the people outside trying to reach into the scarlet witch because they don't realize she's the big bad uh but for me this was the scene where we realized that these are real people who are being controlled 
uh, you know, sort of like a, a Twilight Zone episode or something like that, where, you know, you have, uh, you know, someone who is controlling these people. And when you aren't exerting complete control over them, they have some agency, some awareness of what's happening to them. And uh, to me, that that's what struck me about uh, that scene is that, you know, these are two characters who, you know, because they're not on camera at the moment, um, they think they can just talk amongst themselves. And then they realize they can't because, you know, they, they are being monitored. And uh, so, yeah, I, I really thought that was the the moment in this and that, you know, and the, the scenes coming up with uh, uh, with Geraldine slash uh, Monica, where, um, you know, we'll look back on episode three as the episode where, oh, in retrospect, this was when, you know, the, the show tipped its hand and said, this is what is actually happening, even though it's not directly obvious in the episode. I think in future episodes, we'll look back and realize, oh, they were planting the seeds. They were explaining exactly what's going to happen in the coming episodes. And I think the scene with, uh, you know, with Agnes was really important in that respect. The other interesting thing about that is that, you know, when Agnes is, is, is talking about that, at the end of it, she has that sort of sitcom you know, uh, she has that little uh, joke and she rings the bell. And, you know, ordinarily that would be, you know, the sitcom laugh. There was no laugh there. And I think that's an indication that, you know, the, uh, the, the sitcom reality is breaking down somewhat. So I think that was like a really important scene um, with them sort of explaining to Vision what's happening. And um, I think it's important that it was Agnes who was doing the explaining. You know, uh, Hugh wanted to, to say more, um, but she actually stopped him. And I think it's because, uh, you know, again, if we're assuming that this is that Agnes is Agatha Harkness or whomever, um, I think it's that she is more aware than the other characters um, of the reality that's happening to them. And she doesn't want to tip their hand. She doesn't want to tip uh, Wanda off to what's happening, because if Wanda realizes that they're breaking free, if Wanda realizes that they have agency, she's going to clamp down on them all the more. So, yeah, I thought that was a really, really, you know, important scene. Um, uh, also the end of it that, you know, Agnes chose to leave the scene, whereas, uh, Hube stuck around and, uh, you know, just sort of, you know, snapped back into his character that he's playing in the sitcom. Um, I think that that shows that, you know, uh, Agnes is more aware than the other characters. And, uh, um, the fact that she chose to, you know, leave the scene, uh, rather than deal with that. But, you know, the way they were talking about, uh, Geraldine, um, you know, we, we speculated before that, uh, you know, because we know that Geraldine is, uh, is actually Monica Rambo, uh, that she works for sword. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we speculated that she was, you know, inserted into this reality, you know, them sort of talking about, she doesn't have a home. She's not from here. That makes, uh, you know, uh, a tremendous sense that uh, that they're the sort of non-player characters who are like, well, who is this person who has just inserted themselves into our community? Um, so for me, I thought that that scene was incredibly important because I think it's it's tipping off where we're going going forward. Very interesting. All right. The professor gave us a very bold prediction. Uh, I, I will be asking uh, for bold predictions uh, at, at the end. So the professor already tipped his hat with his. Uh, Priscilla, I don't know if you want to give yours now, too, if, or if you want to wait. I'll be waiting for mine. Uh, I'll, I'll wait until the end. But uh, Priscilla, what about you? What did you think of Agnes and Herb, as well as what the doctor said? Okay, so with Agnes and Herb... I think that they are they are like Sims. They're stuck in this world, and I think Agnes. I think we get the hint that there's more to her with her brooch, because her brooch, if you like zoom in on it, it's got like 
three figures on it, and one of them's got the scythe. And mm-hmm. I think I think she's I think she's related to the the Reaper. And or either that or I think it's the maiden mother crone thing, and I think she's like it's it really is Agatha. But I'm not like I I need a clearer picture to to really see. I was like trying to 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 squint on my Disney Plus on my laptop to figure it out, but I could not get a better a better resolution picture on mine. Just an FYI, that brooch she wore that in episode two as well. Maybe there, there's a better picture. But I was looking in episode three. But, um... I think that she's stuck there. And I think that she's being manipulated. But I think that the Scarlet Witch is being manipulated into creating this world through her grief by somebody else who's manipulating her into doing it like it, it's either it's, it's either nightmare or or somebody but like somebody is using her to fuck with these people and it's not cool okay well since priscilla gave a bold prediction uh i guess i'll give mine i was trying to hold off uh so I think that, okay, see, here's the thing, and maybe it's the Gemini in me. I actually believe that either of your predictions is is what's going to end up happening. It's either going to be the Scarlet Witch controlling everything and she'll be the big bad, which uh, is not a bad idea at all, and um, and I think would make complete sense. You know, she, you know, she sort of lets loose her powers. She doesn't necessarily like want to hurt the people. But unfortunately, her powers go out of control and, and in essence she is hurting the people. That would be really interesting and I would not mind seeing that visually expressed. I do think that She's being manipulated, though, and and I think that's um, I'm I'm like I'm more so leaning to that, so I do agree a little bit more with Priscilla. Like I think what we we will end up seeing is that I don't know how she's gonna get there. I don't know if maybe this this would be like a an incredibly sort of like bold prediction that I would be making, but like let's say Sword, you know, found an anomaly. And they asked Wanda to help because it it looks like it's magic oriented or something. So she goes to Westview. She figures out what's going on. She even meets the person that's behind it. And let's say that person decides to give her a deal. You know, um, I can make Vision come back. Um, And, you know, all you have to do is take Dominion of... uh, you know, this area. And, uh, you know, she signs a contract. She she does not read the details, and the devil's in the details. And in, in like, the, you know, the little, uh, the fine print, it says, you have to give me your first two children, or something like that. And And maybe that's the predicament that she's in, but she doesn't know that she's in that predicament. Um, 
upon rewatching the second episode, well, upon rewatching the first two episodes, Wanda doesn't get the idea about having children until Agatha, well, let's call her Agatha, until Agnes mentions it in the second episode. Like, because she talks about, oh, you know, she's, uh, Dottie's in charge of, you know, she'll get you into the proper schools, you know, just in case. And, and Wanda's like, oh, you know, I don't think I'm ready for that. And then by the end of the episode, she's pregnant. For the children. So, I think that is, that's maybe where it could be going. Because I, I think that Wanda has fallen into a situation and, uh, She's taking advantage of the situation, but I think someone else is taking advantage of uh, of her powers, and and either needs the children or is feeding off of her powers and the chaos that she's brewing, potentially. But I do think also the series clearly needs to um, needs to be a vessel to allow Wanda to grieve, because she needs to grieve Vision. She needs to grieve uh, Pietro, which we will be discussing in a moment. Um, and uh, either at the end of this, she's going to go full-on batshit crazy, or I'm going to need Wanda t- to be in a better place. If she goes full-on batshit crazy, that might be kind of interesting, you know, based off of just stuff that I've heard from the comics. Um, but, yeah, so I, I'm going to, I'm leaning towards someone else being sort of the the chaos agent in all of this. Now, whether it's Mephisto, whether it's the Grim Reaper, Nightmare, um, there was, oh, uh, there was the character that I referenced uh, in the previous week that I had no idea what he was, how, he, how the name is pronounced, but it uh, began with a C-H. It's, um, let me see, I wrote it down. It's Chithon? Does everyone know who he is? He's a marble. Cathon. Cathon. Okay. Cathon. Cathon. Yes. C H T H O N. Uh, that's someone that the internet was talking about. There was also they were talking about Shuma Gorath as well. I don't know who that is. Uh, I don't know her, as Mariah Carey would say. So I don't know if it's. Uh, Cathon or Shuma Gorath. Uh, I'm since we've already been getting hints of either the Grim Reaper or Mephisto, I would I would assume it might be one of them. I don't know. From a storytelling mm-hmm. point of view, I think it's much more interesting if she's not being manipulated by anyone. Because, you know, the idea of the powerful female being manipulated by someone in the shadows, um, I think is uh, is such a trope. I think if this was entirely uh, the Scarlet Witch is doing and to have a hero basically breaking bad, you know, snapping, uh, you know, would be something that they've never really dealt with. Uh, in the Marvel Universe before. And so for me personally, I, I'm hoping that it's not someone manipulating her for that reason. I hope that it's her dealing with her grief, uh, but dealing with it in a way that is is hurting other people. And, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the rest of the Marvel Universe having to deal with that. Um, that's something we haven't dealt with in the MCU before. And I think it would be interesting. You know, what happens when you have, you know, these, you know, sentient weapons, um, you know, these these beings of great power, when they're trying to do what they think is the right thing, but, you know, not thinking about how that affects the rest of us. 
personally, I think that's that's more interesting and a more nuanced storytelling thing than just having some, you know, evil person or evil entity uh, manipulating her. So that's kind of why I'm hoping that they're not going to take the uh, now that the problem with that is that it means that, you know, you are basically writing off the Scarlet Witch. She can't if she does this sort of stuff and if she is doing this sort of stuff, then, you know, it makes it very, very difficult for her to to have a, a, a road back to becoming a hero. But I think it's much more interesting if uh, if you you sort of explore what happens when, you know, you are this incredibly powerful being who is more concerned with dealing with your problems than other people pose problems, which, you know, if I'm right about what's happening with Scarlet Witch is what's happening in this reality. Um, and, and personally, I think that's that's a more interesting storytelling choice. But again, I could be entirely wrong about that. But. If I'm right, I think that's a really, really interesting thing. And it could be setting up the, the Scarlet Witch to be a big bad going forward. No, I completely agree with you that it's a more interesting choice. But the only the only thing that knocks that theory out of the bound for me is the fact that um, when they're trying to communicate with the Scarlet Witch, they're like, are you there? Do you need help? Like, they don't react to her like hey, knock yourself out of this, get up, get out of this, like, or can you figure this out? Like, they they act like she's a spy or something put in there to infiltrate something. Except that that's exactly what they would do if they didn't realize she was the big bad, right? They would be reaching out to her saying, assuming that someone was doing this to her, um, you know, not that she was the person who was doing this herself. So I think it makes perfect sense if she, you know, went up there and did that obviously because she's a hero everyone's going to assume well someone is doing this to her but if that's not the case um i think you know the uh you know the uh the randall park you know reaching out to her by the phone um you know uh you know sending a monica rambo to find out what's happening on the ground uh from sort of, i think that makes perfect sense um if you know the the scarlet witch has broken bad and you know everyone's just assuming well she's a hero she wouldn't do that well okay so let's change one of the words that you were using, Professor, because you were saying uh, maybe she's being, uh, you know, you hope that she isn't being manipulated by a big bad and this or the other. What if she isn't m- being manipulated by the big bad? What if there is a big bad, but they're taking advantage of the chaos that she's sown? So it's not that he manipulated or they, uh, you know, whomever it is, it's not that they manipulated her, but like, let's say... You know, they, they, you know, because they're also a magic being, you know, they, they feel the energy and they, they see what's going on. And so they end up taking advantage of what Wanda has created so that they can achieve whatever goal they have to achieve. Entirely possible and, and completely acceptable. I just don't think there's been anything in the show so far that supports that. I think the simpler explanation is that. Uh, the Scarlet Witch has snapped and is manipulating reality for her own personal selfish reasons. Um, we haven't gotten any real indication. And again, that could just be the episodic storytelling that we're dealing with. But, you know, we're three episodes into it, and I think it's supposed to be a nine-episode run, which means we're a third of the way through. And, you know, there's been no indication of the big bad yet. That leads me to suspect the simpler explanation is that there is no big bad. The big bad is right in front of us all the time. Okay. I like it. I'm here for all of it. I'm here for interesting, fascinating, uh, 
mysterious storytelling, which is what we've gotten so far. So I'm I'm cool with all of it. I'm just along for the ride, and I'm I'm enjoying hearing everyone's theories on what's to come. It's funny how uh, we're talking about theories, but we haven't even finished with the episode. So let's continue on because something big happens uh, when um, when uh, various websites were talking about the series and giving their previews and, and, and talking about uh, the episodes they had seen. They mentioned that they got the first three episodes and they said that at the end of the third episode, it was a game changer. There are talks of uh, episode four being a game changer as well. So I feel like we're going to be changing the game from here on out every time that, that we talk about WandaVision. But this one certainly did change the game big time. As the professor also stated, uh, he said that this would be the episode. He feels that this could be the episode that we will look back on and be like, wow. This one gave us a whole bunch of more information than we thought we had. So, while Vision is having his discussion with, um, with Herb and, uh, and Agnes, Geraldine is inside with uh, Wanda. Now, I will say, before anything happened, as I was watching Geraldine having to deal with uh, Wanda's uh, birth, Wanda, not Wanda's birth, but Wanda giving birth and seeing everything that was going on in that house, I was like, they're going to have to do something to her because she has seen too much and, and that's not going to be able to be explained away as easily. At least that's what I thought. So uh, Wanda is, is with Geraldine. She's looking at the babies. The babies are twins. And she tells Geraldine... I will say, it, this was Wanda not in a sitcom voice. It was in her own MCU voice. I was a twin. And she's like, I had a twin. His name is Pietro. And that snaps Geraldine out of her sitcom uh, twang. And she's like, yeah, he was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? And this starts to snap Wanda out of everything even more. And she's like, what did you say? And Geraldine snaps back into her sitcom twang. She's like, oh, I, you know, you're a strong woman. And they go back and forth. Geraldine sort of snaps out of it for a moment as well. There's a confrontation. Wanda's like, who are you? And Geraldine goes, I don't. And she starts questioning her, and then we don't see what happens. We, we continue on with Agnes, Herb, and Vision. Vision goes inside the house. He's like, where's Geraldine? And a, um, I don't know what I want to call her. It's not really apoplectic, but a, um, a menacing-looking Wanda sort of steely says, oh, she went home. You know, this, that, or the other. And she just has this this um, intense look on her face, is, is what I will call it. Uh, we see Gerald, well, I should say the aspect ratio of the screen changes as we see Geraldine get uh, thrown out of Westview, what appears to be through some sort of um, magical membrane type of thing. 
And uh, she lands outside of Westview uh, at night. Westview, it's daytime. And she's uh, in her 70s garb. And uh, sword surrounds her. I will also say that she does have a sword necklace on with the logo. And, and, and uh, Wanda was questioning her about that as well. So, what do we think of this? What the hell? Did we all notice them going in and out of the sitcom world as far as their, their dialect? Um, Wanda does a whole Sokovian uh, lullaby. What the hell was this? And, and and did we love every moment of it? Or at least did y'all love every moment of it? Because I loved every moment of it. I will say when I saw this the first time, I rewound the fuck out of this scene just to watch it over and over and over again. Because it was so good. Priscilla? Holy shit. Wanda went bad. Like, ah, like, if... If I had any inkling that she wasn't controlling this before, like, the fact that she just went, her face just went ham, it just went ape, it just went bad when she heard, your brother was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? Like, she just lost it, and she's she's like, you're ruining my happy home, and just pushed her out of there, like, you're not you're not allowed here if you're not allowed if you're not gonna play nice. If you're not gonna play by my rules, I don't want you here. Yeah, you're not supposed to say the U word. You're not supposed to say the U word. And it wasn't really until this moment in the Maximoff sort of history that I realized she hasn't mentioned Pietro since Age of Ultron. And I didn't really notice that, because remember I, I mentioned that I sort of binged a whole bunch of, uh, in particular, just of the more recent uh, MCU stuff, and a lot of that included Wanda and Vision. And it's true, like, she had never, she didn't mention Pietro in Civil War, she didn't mention him in uh, Endgame or Infinity War, so this was the first time his name was mentioned, and it was the first time we've seen her really react to it. Uh, something else about that is that uh, something I noticed uh, in this episode is when did Vision develop speed powers? Vision always had speed powers. No, he, he like, didn't. You know, he... No, Vision he never speed had super speed. Oh, he had. He could fly. Light. He had density control. He could fire beams out of the uh, the gem. He never had super speed before this episode. Are you sure? Didn't he and fly I, I, fast? He could fly very fast. And, you know, if you go back to the first episode when she says you can travel at Mach 1, I just assumed she was talking about him flying. But uh. in, if you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Vision never had super speed. In this episode, he has super speed. Why? And is it a coincidence that it, this is the episode where they bring up Pietro? That can't be a coincidence. That's I think this is. I think this is a, another manifestation of, of Wanda creating a reality. And getting back to my idea that, you know, if Wanda is the big bet. So, you know, she's doing this to protect her reality with vision. She now has children. Can you imagine how dangerous she'll be if she's protecting these children? Because if someone tries to break in and change this reality, she might lose her children. How dangerous would she be if she's protecting the kids? Mm-hmm. For the children. For the children. 
That's interesting. What do we think of, uh, well, Professor, I want to get your take on, on everything as well. So before I ask him the next question, what did you think of just everything Wanda and Geraldine? Boy, that was so good. I mean, the actress playing uh, Geraldine slash Monica was was so, so good. Um, you know, we and, you know, we saw it earlier, you know, as you mentioned, you know, when we had the storks skittering around and she briefly breaks free. She hears the sound and, and she plays that that sense of, of disorientation. Uh, really, really well, which I think sets up what happens later, because, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at that scene between Geraldine and Wanda, which is one is that Geraldine is, you know, aware of everything and, you know, is is taking advantage of that moment to bring up Pietro to try to break through to Wanda or, or manipulate her in some way. But really, I think, you know, the the actress played her at just as someone who was, you know, sort of coming up out of a dream. Um, you know, and, and I think the idea is that, you know, Wanda was distracted. Wanda was, you know, staring at her children. She was singing that lullaby. And so her, her control slipped very briefly and that allowed, uh, Monica to, to partially break out of it, not break out of it as in, oh my God, I'm in danger here. But, you know, she's, she's seeing, you know, she's, you know, start having this memory coming up. Oh yeah. Your brother, didn't he get killed by Ultron? Which is, you know, a, a logical thing to say in that moment. Um, and I think it was really, really well played by both of them. And, uh, and, uh, I think at that moment, the Scarlet Witch, you know, being reminded of that outside reality, um, you know, and the anger that you saw in her. Uh, and as you say, the fact that she, you know, her, her voice changed, her whole demeanor changed, uh, tremendously. Um, I think that was her, you know, reasserting control and getting rid of Geraldine for that reason. I was going to jump ahead to something I, I was saying might happen in the next episodes, but I'll shut up about that. All right. I do want to hear that uh, in, in a little bit, uh, so I will remember to ask you about that. Uh, that whole scene was just fantastic. It, it, was, it was just, it was incredibly intense. The acting was so good. Um, Elizabeth Olsen did a really good job of going from, you know, happy, cheery sitcom voice to Wanda's MCU voice to giving us a little bit of uh, the Sokovian accent, especially, uh, you know, when she said Pietro's name and then them singing in Sokovian. Um, I thought Tiana Paris did a really good job of, because uh, I think she did snap out when she asked about Ultron. And um, I think she snapped out in such a way that she asked, and, and, and I think she realized she oopsed. For a, for a moment there. Um, and, and then uh, later on when she's like, don't be like that, Wanda, or something like that. That When she said that, it made me wonder if they had a relationship before this. Because like, that was also her snapping out, I think. Because she didn't do... She wasn't talking when she was like, you know, don't be like that, Wanda. Um, she didn't do that in like her 70s sitcom voice. She said that uh, sort of matter-of-fact... And I, I thought that was interesting as well. I wonder what the necklace means outside of it being the sword logo. Was that supposed to be like a totem that was, that was in essence, going to help her remember or going to maybe tether her to the quote-unquote real world? Um, I, I don't know. But uh, it was fascinating that she was wearing the sword logo as a necklace because if she's supposed to be undercover, you know, um, that's... Um, <laughs> that was a little too glaringly obvious. In the uh, second episode, she wasn't wearing it. So but isn't that sort of a seventies thing, mm -hmm. where like 
the bad guys always have like their insignia on their chest or on their How logo dare you? Stuff like that. How dare you call her the bad guy? No, because that wouldn't that be like for Wanda wouldn't that be her bad guy? True that. The person who wants to break her idyllic world. True that. Yeah, that's true. So, a person who's got like the insignia on the chest of like this organization that's trying to break up her happy-go-lucky world of mothers and fathers and babies and just ruin it is the enemy. True. Something that I noticed when I was watching this one, uh, because I did see a bunch of the WandaVision trailers uh, as, you know, the the series was getting ready to uh, premiere, a lot of them were very similar, so they didn't really give uh, that much new footage with each subsequent trailer. But um, because they used the same footage uh, throughout, uh, you know, these trailers, you know, I, I remembered certain scenes. And in a lot of the trailers, when Wanda asks, who are you? Geraldine goes, I don't know. And then she... She has like a weird look on her face, and then so does Wanda, and then they there's like a you know like a hard cut, and then they're both smiling. So I wonder if we're going to get a different perspective on this because in one of the trailers it does show her it shows a little bit more of her being pushed out of that reality, her being um, um, Monica Rambo, aka uh, Geraldine. So I wonder if we might end up seeing at some point a different cut of this, where we see this from Geraldine's perspective of like how she got kicked out of this world, which would be a little different than what we've seen thus far, because we haven't seen the perspective of the outside world. I have no idea how they would do that. Because so far, everything has been sitcom-y. You know, in essence, it's framed within the sitcom. Uh, we did get a tease of the outside world, so I guess maybe an episode could start off in the outside world, and then the, the aspect ratio changes, and then we see the sitcom, and maybe, you know, there's like outside world um, a bookends to an episode. I don't know what they're going to do to switch things up, but... Um, I think we're going to get more footage of Geraldine and uh, her journey and how she was really kicked out. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was talking about, you know, my uh, sort of, you know, uh, vague predictions for the future. And I think that might be a way they would go. You know, the first three episodes were entirely within the sitcom world, except for, you know, at the very end. Uh, I'm wondering whether going forward, if we're, you know, more establishing, uh, you know, the idea of the Scarlet Witch as being, uh, you know, either the big bad or, you know, the cause of all of this, whether we might cut between the sitcom world and the outside world, whether book ending or even within the episode, um, you know, to cut away to the uh, the sword agents. Uh, we know Kat Dennings is coming back. Um, we haven't seen her in the, uh, the series so far. So she's presumably on the outside. So if we're going to have these outside characters, I think we have to see what's happening in the outside world of the people trying to break through uh to whatever's happening um uh with scarlet witch and and vision in that reality so i think it's entirely possible that maybe starting from episode four going forward maybe we're going to be seeing more of what is happening on the outside 
you know, uh, who are the sort of people who is the person in the beekeeper suit? Um, you know, uh, all of that I think is, is, you know, a way to change things up rather than sticking rigidly to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the interior sitcom, uh, structure that we've had up to this point. I would not be surprised if we actually had already seen Darcy. Uh, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that that was her watching them on the monitor in episode one. Well, that doesn't count if all you see is, you know, I, I know, I know, control. but I, I, I think Kat Dennings, damn it. I know, I know, but I think, uh, I think that was her character. And I think we're going to learn that once she actually shows up and, and we can see her, I, I think it's going to be her kind of monitoring them and looking for clues as to maybe, you know, sword trying to figure out like what exactly is going on. All we know for certain is next week is the 80s episode. I mean, we're, we're traveling through the decades, so this was the 70s. Next week will be the 80s. And I'm just going to say this now, and I do not want to be disappointed, Marvel. If you do not have Elizabeth Olsen say, you got it, dude, as one of her lines in the 80s <laughs> week episode, I am going to be so fucking pissed off. She's got to say, you got it, dude. Please, I'm begging. I hope that they actually wrote that in for her. Yes, I feel like the professor has no idea why I'm saying this. No, I don't know if they, she's got to say, you got it, dude, because aren't they saying that they're going to they're gonna um be talking about married with children? And in that one, it's, I don't know. It's well, kinda... no. Did they say the 80s would marry yeah. with children? I think 90s would be married with children. Oh, shit. So we're not going to Oh, that's good. You're right. I'm glad you actually said that because I kept on wondering. So I was like, okay, 80s will probably be full house. And I yeah. kept on wondering, what would be 90s? Because it seems like they are sticking to family-style sitcoms. And 90s would probably be married with children. Yeah. And then it depends on if they do, like, the early aughts versus, like, the 2010s separately. I kind of feel like they're not going to do, like, 2000s and then 2010s. I feel like it's just going to be aughts. And um, based off of a trailer, it looks like it's going to be Modern Family. Yeah. They said Malcolm in the Middle, too, for, for another... Oh, maybe that's going to be 90s then. Yeah. Because Malcolm in the Middle... Malcolm in the Middle? Was that 90s? Or was that early 2000s? Yeah, I think that was 90s. I think that was early 2000s, now that I'm thinking about it. So would they do that? So then they would do, in essence, mm, uh, Full House, Married with Children, Malcolm in the Middle, and then Modern Family? Mm-hmm. That seems like a lot. I don't know. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's like a, a pastiche, kind of like how this one was like... Modern Family Partridge, not Modern Family, um, Partridge, Partridge Family, Family Brady and, Bunch. Um, yeah. Brady Bunch. Okay, then that would work for me too. Um, yeah, because I feel like we need to get to a point to where there's no more sitcom left, you know? Mm -hmm. But I could see them milking that until, so that the final three episodes would be no longer sitcom and it would be all action, for lack of a Can better word. Can I ask word. you guys a question? Sure. Do you think Pietro's going to come out? Yes. But her Pietro or um <laughs> I know where you're going. Pietro. 
Oh, okay. based off of rumors, some people seem to think Evan Peters is going to be on the show. Yeah. And um, based off of something I read on Twitter, I kind of think he is. But my hope is if they do bring on Evan Peters and he's playing Pietro, my hope is that Wanda realizes this isn't her Pietro. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they are going to do that, in essence, it would be stunt casting. Um, she would have to realize that it's not him. And and then that's probably when all hell is going to fucking break loose. So that would probably happen in the Modern Family episode. Ooh, I like this. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because like there, there, yeah, there are other rumors. I don't really even... Because they're just rumors. Because there are rumors that he's playing someone else as well. So... Um, I don't know what to believe. There, There is no concrete information about anything. Um, oh, something that we didn't discuss is just a quick little throwaway because we saw Dottie for a second and apparently she's married to Phil. Yeah, I found that quite surprising. Yeah, so it was hella random. It was also kind of interesting because, you know, last episode, Dottie was presented, you know, almost as this, you know, malign force to just sort of throw her in. It's it's almost like, you know, they didn't want to do what they did with uh, Deborah Jo Rupp of of not revisiting the character at all. Just sort of reminding us that she's still out there, um, uh, you know, uh, going forward. But, yeah, it did seem uh, and now it, it was just used in the standard sitcom, yeah. you know, humorous trope. Uh, but, yeah, I think it was you know kind of important to to remind us that she's still out there because we really didn't get a lot of the uh, the external characters. Uh, in this episode, the doctor who was new, uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, really just the other two uh, were were significant in the episode, um, which was you know kind of interesting too because in the previous episodes it was much more about them interacting with people. Uh, this was mo- almost a bottle episode, which was just Vision and the Scarlet Witch with a couple of people uh, drifting around the outside. Yeah, Deborah Jo Rupp was at the talent show though in episode two. Yeah, she was. Yeah, so uh, so she was around. She just wasn't uh, the focus, in essence. Okay, so I feel like we covered everything. So did uh, did I miss anything? Even something teeny tiny before we head into the MVP? Okay, you got it, dude. Uh, I need a you got it, dude. Please. You got it, dude. <laughs> okay. Not, <laughs> not from you, but I did like it. <laughs> I need it. I, I need it in my life. I, I just, because it would be an Olsen saying it. Like, it just, it's perfect. I hope that they realized how perfect it would be. Anyway. Watch, in a week I'm going to be like, fuck, why didn't they say you got it, dude? <laughs> anyway. Even if Vision said it, someone needs to say you got it, dude. That's all I need. Anyway, MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Let's see. Um, Professor, who's your MVP? 
Well, well, I am tempted to give it to Stork, who did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, I'm going to give it to Geraldine. Um, she was really, really good. You know, we talked about, you know, as you said, the code switching. You know, uh, it was very subtle, you know, she, and she did it several, a couple of times. Um, you know, that moment where she was hearing the sound and briefly broke free. And I thought, uh, you know, she played it very, very well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the scene with Scarlet Witch. And also because, you know, um, for me, that scene where the Scarlet Witch, you know, uh, that that's where, you know, I, I became absolutely convinced that she is the big bad. Uh, not big bad in, in you know, uh, you know, uh, but big bad in the the antagonist of the series. And it's going to be about the other characters, you know, the vision and the NPCs trying to figure out how to break her free or break free from her control. And uh, so I think that was that was really good. And, you know, even though she's technically out of the sitcom reality, um, you know, I, I do hope that we're seeing more of the outside world just so that we get more of uh, of Geraldine slash Monica Rambeau going forward. All right, a very good choice. Priscilla, your MVP and why? Um, I think my MVP is going to be it's going to be Vision because I loved how he cribbed off of Wanda and how he supported her throughout the entire episode and how he kind of pulled off that whole I want to be a good dad. But I don't know what the hell I'm doing. My favorite, one of my favorite scenes, and it's like a really like small scene, was, and it's been done so many times in so many sitcoms. But I love it in this one, is when everything's going haywire, and he's like, "Oh my god, ah, like, like, is, did your water just break? He, he, who?" And he's and he starts flying up in the air, and and she's telling him to breathe. And he starts calming down and going down and do, and, and floating down. He's like, thank you. As she's the one that's going through the contractions. And I thought that was really cute. So, yeah, vision for sure. Another good choice. And it frees up a, a character that I can pick for the MVP. I'm giving it to Wanda. Elizabeth Olsen was just spectacular throughout the entire episode. Uh, from all of the sitcom comedy... Uh, you know, the, the butterflies coming to life and, and uh, her sort of uh, surprise that that happened. Um, you know, that the moment where uh, everything was going haywire in the kitchen and then they escaped the kitchen and, and then the power, the, the lights sort of go really bright. And then, you know, she's doing like these um, almost like karate hands, <laughs> like if that was going to do anything. I thought that was brilliant. And then it just turned dark and twisty. Uh, when she was with Geraldine, like it, she played it brilliantly, the um, the almost um, apoplectic look on her face at the end, it, it just was fantastic. And if this was sort of a, a taste of a menacing Wanda that we might see in the future, I'm here for it. I'm excited for it. Uh, the professor actually triggered a question that I, I'm going to ask you right now before we rate the episode. Do we think at the end of this all, uh, a bold prediction time, Vision will be brought back in some way, shape, or form? Yes, no? No. Just Ooh. because I think if Vision was brought back, if they do bring Vision back, if they brought him back as like a total robot, um, okay. But otherwise, you're basically 
giving Scarlet Witch the happy ending when she's, as I said, I think she's the big bad. And I don't think you get the, the happy ending if you're the big bad. So if they do bring him back, you'd have to be like a completely mind wiped vision. Uh, but I think it's more likely that he's not going to come back. All right. Priscilla, what do you think? Okay, I have a spoiler alert. But um, it's just from a clip that I saw in one of the in in one of the um, ads, and it was of Wanda creating a mind stone from one of from a ball of yellow gas. So if that's the case, then I think that Vision's coming back. Oh, that's interesting. I do remember seeing that, but I wasn't sure what the hell she was doing. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Okay. That, that was. Let's just put it out there. That was Priscilla's interpretation of something, a visual that she saw in the trailer. We're not sure if that's going to happen, but that's fascinating. I do think he's going to return. I don't know in what shape or form, because in the comics... He's he has returned. He's been a gray husk in essence. Um, there's a character where they have his mind waves or something, and they're able to bring Vision back. I don't believe they've introduced the character at all in the MCU, so maybe that's not what they're going to do. But I hope they bring him back. Uh, if if we really think about it, Paul Bettany has been a part of the MCU since the beginning, so it would be nice for him to continue on in some way, shape, or form. All right, let's rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 televisions? The point system is loud, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving a more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden television. Let's start off with with Priscilla. Okay, I'm going to give this one... As much as I really loved the scene with Monica Rambeau and Wanda facing off the rest of the episode left me kind of wondering when this TV thing is going to be over pretty soon because I was just not in the mood for 70s television today so I'm going to give it a 7 all right. A seven for the 70s, I guess. Right, Priscilla? Yep. Okay, so Priscilla's giving it a seven. Professor, what about you? Where do you stand? Uh, I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I thought it was very enjoyable. And as I say, I think it was a significant episode for reasons that we'll only appreciate going forward. Um, so uh, I think we'll look back on this one and, and realize there was a lot in here that will only become uh, really obvious going forward. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, I think we'll, we'll realize this was uh, a more important episode, but even just leaving that aside, it was really, really enjoyable. I thought all the acting was great and, uh, and really, you know, focusing as they did on, uh, on vision and the Scarlet witch, it gave, uh, those two characters, you know, they, they really carried it well. So I found it really, really enjoyable. And I'm going to agree with the professor. I'm going to give it a nine and a half as well. Um, I, I, kind of understand where Priscilla is coming from because in essence for me this isn't really the type of 70s sitcom comedies that I like uh, the, the family style sort of cheesy goofy Brady Bunch Partridge Family sitcoms is not my cup of tea but their homage to it was just so perfectly done that I found it incredibly enjoyable and uh, 
the twists and turns that we got, because we got a lot of it in this episode, everyone was glitching. Um, all of that was really interesting. And even though we did not get a lot of Agnes, who's, who's become one of my favorite characters on the show, we got just enough to sort of whet our appetite and to really give us, um, you know, it wasn't just a breadcrumb. It was like a pound cake of, of just, you know, of, of juicy stuff that we could ponder over uh, for a podcast. So um, this was a really good episode, a game changer. And uh, it, it really made me excited to see what the next episode was going to be about. Because uh, I, I feel like after this episode, anything can happen. And they can veer in, in any different direction. We can see more of the outside world. We could focus on the stuff going on in Westview. It was all really, really good. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Avengers Initiative WandaVision. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with uh, the professor. Good night, everyone. And Priscilla. Good night, everybody. I hope Thanks. you planned your vacations out well and you actually get to take them. Let's go to Bermuda. Thanks for tuning in. Down the new episodes of the Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night.